So I want to echo Brian. I want to echo Caleb's prayer and how much I am thankful for the guys that I get to serve on this pastoral team with. In fact, I wish that this was actually staff appreciation uh, because whether Caleb would admit it or not, I believe that he has a shepherd's heart and does so much in our church that people don't even realize. Y'all are going to clap a lot because, I mean, Shannon is in the same, same vein as our, uh, overseeing our ministries and just the things that she does behind the scenes and putting things together and the way she just has a, has a gift to pull things off. And then Deborah has to put up with me. And that is like at the top of her job description, and it's a full-time job of uh, having to come and find me on Thursdays to get my outlines. I'm just kidding. No, Deborah is a saint and a jewel at the things that she has to do, the calls that she takes. That's right, Joe. She is. I mean, and, and, and Aaron, Aaron's kind of new to our team, but I mean, Aaron, you have a phenomenal gift at organization. Like, we, we did staff goals, and she wrote a four-page paper. But she, like, set the bar. Listen to me, folks. She set the bar for the rest of us. She is that talented. Our men that are in that booth that make me look good. I try to sleep eight hours every night to get beauty sleep, and it doesn't work. Man, I come in on Sunday morning, and they just somehow have a way of making me look really good. And then I found out that Zog and I have matching bases today. I mean, man, I didn't know you could play. I knew you played, but I haven't got a chance to hear you play yet. Man, just the way these guys can rotate and cover these instruments. God, I can go on and on and on, but I'm blessed. We are blessed. Fred, you are an incredible mentor. You are an incredible friend. And guys, he stepped in at a time that was hard. And I, I want people to hear this online as well as we hear it in the room. What we have with Fred being here is very, very rare where an interim pastor can step in and stay at the church where he served. You know what? I want to pat us on the back for that. Because you know why it happened? Because of the humility of this man. And we appreciate you, Fred. Kevin, man, you, Kay Dizzle, you just, you're just the man. In the few months that he's been here, I mean, you can already see his fingerprints on everything in our church. The way he's been able to connect and lead and change and challenge and the experience alone that he brought to our church. Guys, I'm telling you, when I sit at our staff meetings, at our study times, I am a, I'm a small person among a bunch of giants in this room. For Crosby, who has a, an incredible ability to connect with students. Wednesday morning, I went to uh, Tallulah Falls FCA. I took Micah, and Crosby got to speak. Uh, they called him the day before and said, hey, guy that was coming couldn't come. Can you come? And he said, oh, yeah. I walk in, and he's doing the church clap with a bunch of middle school girls under the basketball goal. But I'm telling you, it opened the door for him to be able to connect. And Timothy, who probably downplays his abilities more than anybody that I know, is a giant. The man has a pastor's heart. He shepherds more than just our kids. He is constantly connecting with people and reaching our people and, and shepherding our families. I'm forever grateful. And I include in this list Steve Payson. Steve Payson has become a dear friend. But even though his tenure ended as a student pastor here, he didn't stop pastoring here. And leading our church and challenging our church in the area of evangelism and keeping us connected to what's going on in our community. Thank you, brother, for what you do. So one last time, could we let them know how much we appreciate them? Listen, when we think about hope, 
When we think about what God has called us to do, there's two things. Number one, we have a great God. And we have a great church. In fact, even in this today, there's one person that we can't recognize physically because he's not here. He's pastoring his church in Bongo, Nicaragua. Well, Aviles is as much a part of this church and a part of this pastoral team as any pastor here. And right now is serving. And guys, I, I, I have so much I want to tell you today. I'm like a kid in a candy shop. But I'm telling you, what God has opened up, even in the last week, is bigger than Bongo. It's bigger than San Rafael. It's, it's in beginning to encompass half the country of Nicaragua. And Will's role in that is so awesome as he begins to host teams and we begin to work with him to get that mission house ready for what God's about to explode in Nicaragua. I'm excited. So I have a challenge for you. All of our staff emails is our first name, last name, with a period in between, and Ebenezer.com. I want his inbox flooded with letters from our people today. Would you take a few moments? If you're friends with Tammy on Facebook, I want you to say thank you, Will, for what you're doing. And, and, let, and, and write a prayer for him. But let him know how much we appreciate him. Even if he is all the way in a different place, he is a part of us. And let's not forget that. Because, I mean, to me, it's like it excites me to think about what God is about to do in our church. And one of those things Caleb mentioned to you a few weeks ago when I was sick was this idea of four and 24. And that is our mission focus. That's only a part of a whole. But our goal in 2024 is to have four new places for boots to be on the ground. Four new opportunities. And some of these are not absolutely new opportunities, but they're opportunities that we haven't done in quite some time. And so I've got a slide I want to show you because I want to break this down because right now, this is what is on our calendar for next year, and I want you to begin to pray about how God can take little old me, little old you, and use you across this nation and in this world. So in June 2024, we're going to be talking to Andy Duke about returning to his church in, in Colorado to help them with some children's ministry. We're going to be going possibly to partner with jo Josh Carpenter, whom you met months ago if you didn't know him. He grew up here and he is an IMB missionary in Italy, and we're talking about coming at the end of June to come work with their art camp and the bike ministry and the refugee camp. We're talking, we are, we are going back to San Rafael to work directly again with Will and hopefully, I believe, do some outreach that will lead to a new church plant. That's my hope. But my hope's like this. I want what God wants. We'll be going back, if you notice that some of these or places we've been, so the student ministry will be going back to work in, with New Heights again at the end of July. We are going back to Ensenada, and I can't wait. So we'll be praying about that opportunity once we have the school calendar. We can set that one in stone, and the last one excites me as well. A friend of mine who teaches in New Orleans, his son, through the North American Mission Board, the Sin City Initiative, has just planted a church in East New Orleans, two or three blocks away from the old Six Flags. And we're going to be going down to meet with him very, very soon to talk about what it looks like for our church to partner with him. Guys, this is bigger than anyone can fathom. I was challenged by a few people on our admin team 
to think big. I don't know if this is big or not big. What I know it's bigger, it's bigger than me, and it's bigger than you. And it's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot, lot of work. And you know what it's going to take that I believe this church has? It's generosity. It's going to take generosity. Because I know this church now well enough to know. I'm, I'm coming up on 11 months, almost a year. And one of the things I've learned about Ebenezer is you love the Lord and you love being a conduit of the generosity of God. You love to be that transition point that, that you understand God has blessed you and you've turned that around to be a blessing to others. And so right now, go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 3. Because having said all of that and, and celebrating the generosity of this church and the opportunities that we're going to have in the next year to have global impact for the kingdom of God is this idea of what does it look like to be a generous person. In the book of Mark, chapter 12, after Jesus has entered into Jerusalem just before he's being crucified, he's overturned the tables in the temple and he's standing out there and he's making observations and he's continuing to equip and teach his disciples. And he says in his teaching, he says, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces. And they love the chief seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. But notice what verse 40 says here. Who devour widows' houses. And for appearance' sake offer long prayers. And he says, these will receive greater condemnation. But like most writers, there's always some sense of a contrast to heighten the attribute of another character. And so in just a few moments, he begins to make that contrast. He says he sat down. This is not a parable. This was not a story Jesus made up. He sat down. Opposite of where people were putting in their tithe into the treasury. And he began to observe how people were, were putting in their money. Like, not just they were putting it in there, but how they were putting it in there. And many rich people were putting in large sums of money. I could see them coming by, big old handful of coins. You know how your kids do. You know, they don't just dump it in the box. They're going, clink, clink, clink. And I could just imagine these rich people standing there doing that, and looking around to see, making sure that he's got an audience or she and they're dropping that money in one at a time. Why? Because they wanted people to see them. He had just made the contrast. They loved the best seats. They loved the greetings. They loved to be honored. But then he said, but a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounts to about a cent. Some of you men in here are like my grandfather. My grandfather used to stand and, and he'd play with the coins in his pockets and he'd jingle them. I don't carry those in my pockets, one, because I don't like weight in my pockets. There's reasons for that, and I just don't like it there. But if you have a penny right now, and you pull your penny out, you would look at it and go, this is, this is not going to get me anything. You used to save pennies up and then exchange it for quarters and do something with it, but now what used to cost, cost 50 cents in a vending machine is now $2. They have swipe card, uh, credit card swipes. But it says... He called his disciples and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow, wait a minute, 
What did he just say about widows before? That the scribes were taking their homes. Did y'all catch that? This poor widow who has been abused, let's say it that way, who has been robbed, has put more into the treasury than any of these contributors. Why? For out of their surplus they gave, their convenience, their leftovers, but she out of her pottery put in everything that she owned and all that she had to live on. Now, if you're a human being, Matthew chapter two, uh, 6, verse number 2, is that they would give to the poor to sound a trumpet so that everybody could hear what they had done. Why would any person on the face of this planet walk up with all that they had in their hand, all the money they had in their hand, and drop it into the treasury and walk away with a, not a dime in their pocket? Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody be even willing to sacrifice that? Because she knew the God who provides all things. You see, right now, sitting in here, we take for granted even the things that we, we're sitting here doing right now. I hear the air blowing to my right. The breath that I'm breathing. The clothes that are on my body. The shoes on my feet. This microphone that's poking in my ear. God gave it to us. God gave you the breakfast that you had or, or the protein shake you may have drank. God, God made a way for you to have the gas that's in your car. You're like, wait a minute, what? Yes, he did. Because he gave men and women the intellect to be able to know how to refine crude oil. God raised up men and women to, to, to be able to practice medicine and, and to engineer things. And the pews that you sit on right now, I'm assuming came out of oak wood that God caused, and, uh, caused to come up out of the ground. He sends the rain and the sunshine that makes the plants grow. And that the cows eat. And I don't know about you, but I do love a good sirloin steak. And even the 10-year-old gum you found stuck under the pew. God made a way for somebody to know how to put that together. And someone enjoyed it. If you, if you chew gum, gum usually lasts about 30 seconds. But that 30 seconds of pleasure, somehow God made a way for those things to, to come about. And isn't it amazing that even as good as we've got it, this isn't even the best to come. God has blessed us so much. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, he said, But if God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he not clothe you? Why? Because he's the great provider. Don't worry then saying, what will you eat, drink, or wear? Gentiles. Non-Jews, non-covenant people seek for these things. But your heavenly Father knows all that you need. Years ago, we had a recession in this country. And some of you that are now in your 70s were in your 50s and 60s. And you started sweating a little bit. Because your 401k all of a sudden went off the side of a cliff like Wile E. Coyote chasing the roadrunner. Let me ask you a question. Are you hungry today? Has God not taken care of you? Has He not blessed you? You see, the thing is, is God is inviting you and me to step into this place called generosity. Generosity is this state of being kind and generous. 
As the Cambridge Dictionary says, a willingness to give help or support, especially when it's more than usual or more than expected. You see, the, the readers of this letter had fallen out of covenant relationship with the Lord. That last challenge where, 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 where they had, had continually rebuked God, saying, no, 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 I'm not a sinner, it's those people. And remember last week he said, look, I'm coming. I'm going to send a messenger, and I'm going to show up when you least expect it. I'm coming to purify the priests so they can make the offerings that I desire. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to judge, and I'm going to serve justice. And in that last snippet of that verse from last week, he said, Because I, God, do not change. God does not change. And in his goodness to us, he has invited us to accept Jesus Christ, to share in the new covenant, and he's the one putting everything on the table and inviting us into that covenant fidelity. Wanting to change us, to move us, and to challenge us. Putting His Spirit inside of us so that He can live through us. And when you think about the attributes of Christ, one of the things that Christ was and is is generous. And now He's inviting you as a follower of Christ to do the same. Now some of you in here, because this, this is a challenging message. When you see the text, you'll be like, oh boy. Where's he going to go with this? I want to tell you where I'm going to go with this. I'm going to celebrate. I want to celebrate the generosity of Ebenezer Baptist Church. I want to celebrate the generosity of you. Now, and that's not to put a pat on your back or anything like that, but, but, but tithing and giving is this, is this statement to God that, God, I trust that you will take care of me. The other thing I want it to serve as is, is a challenge because I believe that God's got some big plans for our church. And it's going to take some big things to see that big plan come about. And God can do it with or without us. But let me ask you a question. Wouldn't you rather do it with God? Wouldn't you like to be in, in the same path, in the same plan, the same vision, and the same uh, awesome things that God's got planned, rather than just doing my own thing? And so as we read this today, I, I want you to read it not with shame, not with guilt, because that's not what I'm going to do to you. Not with compulsion, but with an open mind. That just like you pray, because that's a discipline. Just like you study scripture, because that's a discipline. Because you come to church, and that's a discipline. Sometimes you fast, and that's a discipline. This is a discipline as well. Because here's what tithing is. Tithing is a statement of dependence upon God, the provider. So as he's given to me, then I take and set apart. Say set apart. Say it louder. I set apart the first fruit of my income to give it back to the Lord because that's what's reflected in his person in the Old Testament. And yes, it is, and I will agree to you, we have, we, Jesus has fulfilled the law. We don't have a checklist. We don't have rules that we follow. Because how do you legislate love? Well, you can't legislate generosity either. But the thing about tithing being in the law, wait a minute, in Genesis 14, before the law ever came into existence, Abram paid a tenth of what he had to Melchizedek. A reflection of, God, you've given to me. And this was after this huge battle. And Abram is saying, God, you have delivered us, you've delivered Lot, you've delivered these people. I'm going to give back to you a portion. Because you gave me a hundred. 
And God, in faith, I'm going to give you back a part in hope and faith that now you can use me as a conduit to be a, be, be a giver for you. We tithe, and that tithing is a response to the sovereignty and the majesty of God. So if you've got your outline, go ahead and fill this in in just a minute. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read. Tithing reflects generosity. If you don't hear anything else I say today, tithing reflects generosity. Giving reflects generosity. Because what we'll read in just a little bit in, in 2 Corinthians is God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because He is. Our God delights in blessing His people. And so I want us to, to approach it with that mindset. But you know, like I asked you earlier during the recession of the 2000s, did anyone go hungry? Do you know anyone who lost money in their 401k that today is starving? Man, we think so American about what we have. For those of us that trekked to Ensenada a few weeks ago, we'd probably say with a resounding amen that we have way more than any human being should ever have to have. In fact, I believe our blessings sometimes are a burden. But you know how it cannot be a burden? Let me ask you this question. If you played the lottery today and won a million dollars, what would you do with that million dollars? Oh, I can dream up some really cool stuff to do with a million dollars. But what if instead of you saying, what can I get for myself and what can I buy for myself and how can I get this better car, this better house, what if you said, what would it look like to give away a million dollars? What would it look like to take that money and sow it into the kingdom of God to help someone out, to show them the generosity of our Lord who did not hold back His own Son but gave us His very best. In fact, I, it reminds me of a verse that Lars' mom would quote to us often. In Psalm 37, 25, it says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging for bread. And I think we have to approach it with I, that idea that God wants to use you and me as a conduit for his love and his generosity. So would you stand with me as we read through this passage, and I want you to notice that there are two how questions. But the first how question sets up the second how question. So it says in verse number 7, coming off of that, I do not change, says the Lord. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. In other words, you broke the covenant. I'm telling you again, you've brought me lame sheep, you're marrying pagan women, you're abusing and misusing your wife you're weeping over the altar not bringing the right sacrifices and I'm telling you you've broken the covenant he says return to me and I will return to you what how did Jeremiah 29 instruct us to return to God in, in verse 13 return to the Lord with your whole heart to seek him but they say well how shall we return it's, it's nice that the tone of their question has changed but he doesn't answer the question. He says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But how, you say, well, well, how have we robbed you? How, how do you go to heaven and take something that belongs to God? It's funny you ask that in tithes and offerings. He says, you are cursed with a curse. Why do you have cursing? Because you've broken the covenant. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you, inclusive why they had just they had come back they're still trying to piece this thing together they, they, I mean they're just going off the writings they're they're a hundred years removed and God wants them to put it back in order 
And so he says, bring the whole tithe, not part, not some, but the whole tithe into the storehouse, a geography established by the Lord, not man, so that there may be food in my house. And now he says this, test me now. The only place you will read that in the scripture where God said, come on, bring it on. And he says, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a great blessing until it overflows. That means that the storehouse is more than full. No, 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 no. You, you missed that. More than full. So full you can't walk into the storehouse. You just open a crack and it just begins to bubble out. So he says, then, listen to what he says, then I will rebuke the devourer for you. Why is that important? That means he's restored covenant blessing. It will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes. In other words, their grapes were falling off rotten before they could harvest them. But for what? For what reason? He says this, all the nations will call you blessed. This is an, etern an eternal, worldwide scope that God had in mind. For you shall be a delightful land. Do you remember what God called that land before they got there? It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And because of their disobedience, that land dried up. And now God is saying, look, get your stuff right and the blessing comes. Let's pray. Father, give me grace, give me wisdom, and let your word speak louder than anything that I could ever fathom in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to take a few moments to walk back through that passage to kind of point out some things. And then I just, kind of, I just want to give you some principles. And again, this is a celebration. Say celebration. I just want to make sure you're on the same page with me. Maybe we should have wore birthday hats in here today or something. Because this is a celebration of the generosity of God, of those willing to be a conduit of the blessing of God. Why? So we can then turn around and be a blessing to others. If you caught that last verse... I want to be described as a delightful place. And what I've learned about you guys is you, you are kind and you're, you're loving. There's a reason we can put welcome home in our lobby because we live that. We don't just write that. Part of that is because you're such a giving people. So let's look again at verse number 7 if you want to follow along with me. It is clear in that passage that they had broken the commands of God. And you go back to Deuteronomy 6, 16 and 17. Moses warned them, don't test the Lord. But wait a minute. I just read test the Lord. Now I'm saying don't test the Lord. Well, two different contexts. In Deuteronomy 6, he said, don't test the Lord. Be diligent to keep his commands. They were told to obey. Why? Because in the book of Deuteronomy, he told them, if you will keep my covenant, you will receive covenant blessing. If you break my covenant, you will receive the curses. It was black and white. The reason that drought came, the reason their crops would not come up, the reason that things were rottening before they became ripe was because they were disobeying God in the covenant. And he promised that in Deuteronomy 30 when he said, So it shall be when all of these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, you will call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. This is Deuteronomy this is Moses, and he's speaking to the people that are reading this same book, that when you've done this, I will bring you back to the land, and you will return, say return, you will return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to what I've commanded you today, 
and the Lord your God will restore you from captivity. See, God had already answered the question, how do we return to you? You return to him with an obedient and a humble heart. God, whatever you say, I will do. I won't try to explain it, excuse it. I will do what you've called me to do. And for those of us in the new covenant, those of us that have received Jesus Christ, he gave us the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to be able to live in that covenant blessing. That Jesus is the mediator sitting at the right hand of God right now is extending blessing to you and to me. Do you know that? Do you know that? But I think sometimes we, we, we're talking on Wednesday night about heaven. I'm just going to put a shameless plug. We're studying heaven on Wednesday night. And we asked the question of the night, why is it that we don't think about heaven and talk about heaven? It's because we're satisfied in the here and now. And we don't believe that what's to come is going to be better than anything we could ever have here. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, heaven, heaven is something you can't even begin to fathom. And God is beckoning for you and I to repent of our sins and to receive his word and accept Christ as our Savior and have our sins forgiven, have a right relationship with him so that we can receive that inheritance that is being stored up for us someday in heaven. So come study heaven with us on Wednesday nights. I think you'll like it. But then you look at verse number 8. And again, he didn't answer the question, how do we return? Because he'd already answered the question. He pivots again and says, you're robbing me. How can somebody walk into to the throne room of God? The assertion he says is, you're robbing me. They question and say, well, how have we robbed you? And the response is, you've robbed me in your tithes and your offerings. Well, why is that important? Because it was a statement of a lack of faith in the provision of God. Listen, sometimes it just doesn't show up in a basket on your, foot, on, on your doorstep. Sometimes it doesn't show up exactly the way that you see it or you intend it. But if we believe what the psalmist wrote, that, that God has never let his righteous beg for food, then we have to trust that no matter where we are, what's going on in our life, whatever suffering we're experiencing, God is in control. And that God has a plan. And that when I open up my heart to generosity, I can't even begin to fathom the windows of heaven that God will open up and pour out upon us. And it's human nature for us. It's human nature that when things begin to go south and things aren't adding up, to cut off my giving first. Because i got to protect myself. i got to protect the things that I have. I'll stop giving. I get offended at the church and I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to give to them anymore. Rather than stepping in and going, wait a minute, whoa, 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 stop. This is, this is just the conduit of where God has said to bring it to. This is the storehouse. I don't determine the storehouse. So let me just go ahead and say this now. Just, you can go ahead and process it. If we give to a charity that's not our local church, that is not a tithe. That is an offering. God said, bring it to my storehouse. And in this day and time, under the new covenant, that is the local church. Now, now listen, again, is this a law? Is there a law saying, thou shalt give thy tenth? No, but we're missing a spiritual blessing when we forget that. In fact, I looked up like reasons why people don't tithe. I read all these reasons. There was, there was multiple art articles. But do you know why I believe people don't give? Do you know why people, I believe people don't tithe? It's a, it's a four-letter word. It's fear. That's the only reason. I mean, you could sum up every reason people could give. 
well, I don't, I don't trust the church, or I, I, I'm, I'm barely making ends meet. All the different reasons people give. Do you know why people don't give? They're afraid. What's the essence of faith? It's stepping into the unknown. It's stepping into the fearful. It's stepping into that place where we're standing on the solid rock of Christ who has his life in our hand and saying, God, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to trust you. It's the same call that Joshua, when he looked at the people of Israel, and they're standing there at the Jordan, and they have Jericho in their sights, and he basically says this, I don't know what's going to happen when I cross this river, but I'm going to cross it. And that's the challenge for us today is, is that will we step into that place where we will trust God with all that we have? With all that we have. And, and guys, listen, tithing is not giving up your time and your talent. It is, it's the physical things that bring us sustenance. Now, those are things that we should give because God has put his spirit inside of us wanting to live his life out through us to glorify God, to see the gospel spread. But tithing is taking of the things I have and saying, God, you've given this to me. I'm going to take the first of that, set it apart, and it's yours. So, so let's be real. There is no command in the New Testament to tithe, but it is exhibited in the New Testament as generosity. Throughout Scripture, there is this concept of offering to God the tithe, the first fruit, and giving that. And giving, therefore, is about where our heart is. All this boils down to my heart. And the fear of giving is the state that if I give, will I then be in a state of need and want? And that's the trust that if I ever find myself in a place of want, I've got people around me generously looking to see how they can help me too. That's why we need a church family. So he says, bring it into the storehouse and see if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. So if we do not test God in covenant obedience, if we don't test him, how will we ever know what God might do? See, they, they were testing God. They were already testing God. How did they test him? By going against what Moses told them to do. They were breaking the covenant. They weren't obeying him, so they were already testing God. So God takes it from the negative test to the positive test. Says, Bring it in. The whole tithe, all types, completely into the storehouse, the place designated by God. So here's your Bible study challenge. If you're going to study tithe, you can't just study tithe. You've got to study tithe and tenth. It's translated intermixed, interchangeably throughout the Old Testament. And it was in the law, but here's the thing. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. God took his very best. He took his first and sent him to the earth to die on a cross to pay for your sin debt and my sin debt. Extending to us the gift of eternal life if we would just believe, repent and believe in his word, he would save us. And guys, in the Christian life, have you ever been so filled to the full it was running over? Have you ever been so filled to the full of God and his presence, his love, that it was overflowing. It's, you know, you've heard from Psalm 23, my cup runs over. And that's the kind of life that he wants, that, and we exhibit that in our generosity. In fact, this, this idea of running out of room, we read about it in Deuteronomy 26, verses 3 through 5. He says, if you will walk in my statutes, keep my commandments and carry them out, then I will give you the rain in their season 
Now check this out. So that the land will yield its produce and the trees will bear their fruit. Indeed, now check out how big this blessing is. Your threshing floor will last for you until grape gathering and grapes will come until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in the land. Eat your food to the full. More than you could ever need. Now, I know some dear saints of God that I have had conversations with over the years, and you'd hear them tell stories about tithing. One lady claimed that, you know, she had clothing that never wore out. One lady claimed that she never went to the doctor sick. One lady claimed, said, I never had to have dental work done. One guy claimed, hey, I had tires that lasted beyond what their tread life was. And Listen, that, that, sometimes those things are over-spiritualized, but the truth is, is God will bless you that way. If I give $10, there's not going to be $10 pop up back in my bank account. We've got to trust that God's providing for all, all that we need, all that we can have, because God is our great provider. And so he promised the, the readers of Malachi that the devourers won't destroy your crop and, and the vines won't drop their grapes. And all nations will call you blessed. There is this impact for the kingdom and for for God's glory across the globe, and they would be called a delightful land. I, I honestly would love to be described that way. That when people walk in the doors of our church and they encounter us, they'd be like, man, those are some nice people. They're delightful to be around. And when we're delightful, when we're delightful, people are attracted to that. What's the name of our church? Ebenezer. There's a negative way that word is used in a story called Ebenezer Scrooge who was a miserly old man who wouldn't even give his employee a raise. But by the end of that movie, by the end of the Christmas carol, he becomes a generous person because he experienced generosity. And when we weave all this together, this call of God to covenant fidelity, to return, to repent, and to step into that, now God is saying, now look, if you want to see covenant blessing restored, consider generosity. Luke 6.38 says this, Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you in return. When you exhibit yourself as a generous person, generous per people come around you. When you exhibit yourself as a giving person, for some reason, people love to come and give. It goes hand in hand. Because that verb there, he says to give, it's a command, it's imperative, second person plural. But he says that, and then it says they will pour into your lap. Multiple sources, multiple areas, arenas will come in and pour a blessing into your lap. So here's two truths in your bulletin I want to give you. The first one says this, as we give, God gives. As we give, God gives. When he sees you as a faithful conduit of blessing, when you turn around and become a blessing to others... He gives. And it is not a formula. You can't say, well, I gave 20, God's going to give you 20. You don't know how that's going to happen. But you step into that and God pours out abundant grace into your life. But the second one is this. You cannot, check this out, out-give God. Psalm 24.1 is clear that the earth is the Lord and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. In fact, Billy Graham kind of kind of affirms this the same way because when we're talking about tithing and giving, we're talking about stewardship. How am I using my money? How am I taking and using the things that God has given me, not just in my tithing, my offering, but in every avenue of my life? 
And he says this in an article entitled, You Can't Outgive God. We are to be stewards of our money. When it is invested and shared for the glory of God, it will be a boom and a blessing. He said, I know a businessman in Detroit, Michigan, who made a promise that he would tithe his entire income to the work of the Lord. He said his business had tripled and that God had more than fulfilled his end of the bargain. Why? Because he decided to tithe, to take a portion, first fruit, and set it apart consistently. He made that commitment. Then he said, some time ago I heard of a laborer in California who said that he and his wife agreed to give tenth of their income to the Lord. At that time, he was only able to work seven out of twelve months. Now he says he has steady work and he's earning twice as he did before. You cannot get around it. The scripture promises that you cannot outgive God. So when we give, another point in your bulletin, we become, when we become people of generosity, we actually give to show our dependence and our worship. Our dependence and our worship. Why is it that giving is so important to worship? When I sing, I'm basically taking in a breath and exhaling praise out of my mind and my heart to the Lord. When I open up my Bible, I'm, I'm taking time out of my day to study His Scripture. When I utter a prayer, I'm saying that in a moment of time, but there's no other discipline that requires something from my hand other than the tithe and the offering. It costs me something. The readers of this, of this prophecy were bringing blind sheep to sacrifice to the Lord. They were bringing their leftover. See, the concept of the tithe is that I will bring in my first fruit. Exodus 23. The feast of the harvest where he said to bring the choice first fruits to offer to me. That was in the law. But here's the other thing. That when I become a cheerful giver, when I see giving as that opportunity to sow, listen to what, he, what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9. He said, now I say this, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. In other words, if you're a farmer and you go out and you put two tomato plants out, you might get, I don't know, maybe 10 or 20 tomatoes. But if you're like Laura's dad and you plant an acre of tomatoes, then you have them by the bucket full because you sow bountifully so you can reap bountifully. But he says in here, each one must do as he's purposed in his heart. That's why I said this is a heart issue. Being generous is a heart issue. Not grudgingly, not like an Ebenezer Scrooge, not under compulsion because of shame and guilt. No one is shaming and guilting anyone. We're inviting you to step into a spiritual discipline to do and watch what God will do in your life. Because then it says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you will have an abundance for every good deed. God provides for you so that you can turn around and do the good deeds which brings glory to Him and points to the gospel. When I become a conduit of the generosity of God. God loves a cheerful giver because it's in line with His character. The grace of God supersedes the material things that we have. This is not health, wealth, prosperity preaching. This isn't give and expect to be given back to this is God's inviting you to give and give, period. To give out of agape love. 
And that is the priority of the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. In your, in your study guide, generosity reflects the heart of God. And so while you're writing, go ahead and fill this in. Tithe equals first fruits set apart. As it said in Exodus 23, bring the choice first fruits of your soil into the house of the Lord. When I was growing up, I didn't even know what a tithe was. I'd watch my dad. My dad carried cash, and I'd watch him drop money in the offering plate when it came by. I don't, I don't know what he gave. I, re- I really don't. I don't know how it computed to this day, and I don't think I need to ask him because that's his business. Because as that passage says, give whatever God's put in your heart to give. But when Laura and I began to talk, she did grow up in a family that tithed. And so we're like, all right, how do we deal with this? So from day one, we decided we're going to tithe pre-tax. I went to my pre-tax number. I moved the decimal point over one place. Y'all know to do that, right? Y'all learned enough in math to move the decimal plate one place. But if not, multiply it by .1 calculator. When I taught, it was so aggravating. My students wanted to use a calculator. I was a math teacher. And I said, stop using your calculator. So I'm telling you, just move the decimal point over once. And so, so we did that. And you know what? There was a period of time where, where I wasn't working full-time and Laura was working not quite full-time. We didn't go hungry. Our bills got paid. And God blessed us. And I, I've even talked this week about people. I talked to Brother Fred, and, and his story is kind of similar to mine. And just stepping into that. When you got married, stepping into that idea, we're going to tithe to the Lord. Why? Because why would I not? Why would I not test God? He said, I will bless you. Why not test him in that? And I'm telling you, all of you in this room, if you're a tither, you would agree, God has always taken care of you. There's been some scary times. There's been some sweating times. There's been some some frightful times, but God did. And you know what that opens up the door to? It opens up the door to this. Offering is when I start sowing seed. We bring into the storehouse to be able to do what it is that God wants us our church to do, but when we begin to give of the offering beyond the tithe, that is a, that's beyond the faith requirement to begin to sow seed that God will begin to grow. Because if I'm going to farm, it's not going to do me any good to go out there with a few beans and expect Jack and the Beanstalk's Beanstalk to come up out of the ground. I got to sow and sow and sow and then step back and see what God's going to do with that. Last year, my first Sunday here, or my second Sunday here, we voted on a budget, a big budget. In fact, if you remember, it was an increase over and beyond the budget before that. But you know why there was an increase? Because this church had gone through COVID and kept giving. This church had gone through the interim and kept giving. And you voted on a very bold budget last year, and guess what, in just two or three weeks, according to our numbers, we will have met that budget. Why? Why? Because you have been willing to be a conduit of generosity for which I celebrate. And I personally thank you for your generosity. But it is scary. Tithing and giving and offering, it is scary. But let's stop for a moment and think about this. If I wanted to begin being a giver, the first thing I've got to do is address what's in my heart. What are the things that I'm holding on to? When I come to God and I empty my hands of all that I have and say, Lord, it's yours to start with, what will you use with my stuff? Here, take my five loaves and my two fish and see what can happen. 
What kind of plan can you implement? Or can you, I want you to answer this question, can you afford not to give? Those two verses, one last time. Bring the tithe, whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And he said, test me now if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed to get down, shake it together, run it over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. My question is, the last point, can you afford not to test God? Will you test God in this? So let me coach you for a moment. If you're not a tither, you're going, oh, oh, I can't. I cannot go right now and give 10% of my income. Hey, you know what? It's okay. What if you said, you know what? I'm going to start with $50 or $20 or whatever it is. Maybe what you've got to establish first is the consistency. Just like any kind of discipline you build into your life, start with the consistency. Maybe you would say, you know what? I'm going to start with 1%. And your goal is that by next year, you're at 5%. And you're going, well, why are you telling me all this? Because I'm coaching you in this regard. Test and see what the Lord would do with that kind of faithfulness, with that kind of generosity. And guys, I want you to look around. This church, our people, they're a generous people. Through COVID, the interim, you kept giving, you kept giving, and you kept giving. And my prayer to you today is this, that God will bless you for your generosity. But you may be saying, well, why do I need to be generous? So let me give you one last verse. This is Romans 8, 31. It says, what shall we say? If God be for us, who could be against us? Here's the thing. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? I know it's scary, but this is a spiritual discipline. And all I'm challenging you to do today is just pray about it. Will you be willing to test God and see what he would do if you would take just one tiny, tiny step in that direction? So would you stand with us today? I'm grateful that we get to serve in a church where our heart's desire is that we want to lead broken people to find hope in Christ Jesus. So I'm inviting you today to continue locking arms with one another that we can make a difference in this world. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you can speak through and over me to hopefully shed some, some hope in our life today. I challenge, Lord, I'm, I feel challenged, and I pray that you feel, uh, that, that our people will feel that same challenge to step into whatever it is that you have for your people in Jesus' name.